Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to an, a special edition of a combo or a duo conversation with me added into it. And I'm your host, Naziati Mohammad Yaakob, and we have here with you Miss um, Chia Yvonne and Miss Siti Nur Afaf Ismail who are invited to be the guest speakers and interviewees for this. Well, basically, we guys, we guys, uh, we're just going to have a conversation. How are you guys doing? Can you put, can you unmute, please? And how are you guys yeah. doing? We're doing good so far. I mean, personally, it's just been a wonderful week. So I'm really excited to join this talk. Thank you for the invitation. It'll be hey, a good way to yes. close the week. <laughs> it's always good to, to have fresh graduates, even as early as a post part one, to be with us. And I'm sure you have a lot more than just your um, experiences at the university to, to give us a uh, off. And also, Chia Yvonne, um, you, can, you guys can unmute uh, and just talk over each other. Okay, so thank you. A conversation where we have... Imagine Hi. Right. <laughs> we were used like to class etiquette. <laughs> you know, the best, right. best <laughs> the one with interviews, as you know. So we're going to go into um, just my introduction first. Yvonne, how are you? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks for inviting me back here again, Nazati. Okay. Uh, and also, uh, hello, Afa. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very inspired by Afa's work, to be honest. So I've also listened to her presentation. And it's really inspiring that someone at part one level could do something like this. This is just insane. I think it's already worthy of a PhD. So yeah, yeah I'm also learning a lot from her as when well. When we are inspired, yeah. And, yeah. Right. inspired, we are inspired. So we're going to feed off energy of each other, you know? So, yeah, I'm sure Afaf is also can't wait to, you know, Yvonne here, you know, to, to be part of the <laughs> discussion. So I'm going to like just jump into this. Yvonne was uh, from part one in Taylor's University and also from um, uh, uh, put it? Architectural Association School of Architecture for her part two. And um, previously in the... Um, uh, teaser I've mentioned about their bio so I'm not going to go into that too much so I will start with uh, Yvonne first regarding the event that we had uh, recently by Think City on public housing and public spaces what do you think the role of Think City do you think that they're doing a good job of having this event and how effective is it and how does it contribute to our ongoing conversation regarding this topic Maybe I can start first. Yes, Yvonne. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was very surprised that uh, an event like this took place in Malaysia because usually in the UK, something like this is very, very common. Like they have symposiums, they have talks all the time discussing about urgent issues. So when Think City organized this and when I saw this on their Instagram post, I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So finally, we're having like a public conversation on uh, social housing. So that's a really, really good start. I was really, really looking forward to it. And most importantly, it's like free. So a lot of the talks in Malaysia are like so expensive, you yes, know, expensive. Um, not to criticize like certain events, but... <laughs> Uh, 300, 600. Um, I know which not one. Everyone can afford. Yeah, not everyone can afford 
300, 600 to go to a top. And so this one is free. So that's already a major plus point. And then the next thing would be the panels that they invited were really impressive, to be honest. I was like, wow, okay. They are like mental health experts. They are like, you know, the president of like the landscape Malaysia department and a lot of like professors and doctors are experts in their own fields. And they even like invited the representative, like the community leaders itself at the social housing. So that's really, really something that's different that I see uh, from the major talks that I see in Malaysia because we usually talk amongst experts we never really engage with the community always experts talking about communities that's like the top-down approach that we always do in malaysia but in the west they often talk about the bottom-up approach which i think is starting to take root in malaysia we are starting to look into a bottom-up approach instead of a top-down approach so that's really good uh although that uh we did receive like a very spicy comment during the event itself, I remember uh, one of the audience did mention that they wish to see more community leaders instead of these experts uh, in this panel, in this kind of talks. So I think that's a valid criticism. Uh, I think, uh, but for this event to take place in the first place, I think it's already a really, really good start. So I think um, everyone is aware at the event that we should be putting the community leaders at the face of all these kind of talks and events. And that's where the real change uh, will happen and also the engagement will happen. Yeah, that's my comments. Thanks, Yvonne. As a part one graduate from the first degree in architecture from University of Malaya, but someone who has been around the circuit in terms of uh, doing research, yeah? Uh, do, do you find anything interesting uh, that you could recollect uh, above that you the, the audience might want to, to reflect upon? I, um, as most of my points are already mentioned by Yvonne, but I really appreciated how inclusive the event was. Because the thing about um, not just the built environment industry, but also anything that has to do with policies, it's very um, elitist in the sense that it only invites uh, experts or uh, people that you need to be linked with an organization or even an uh, institution. But when I went to the event, it was really open to the public. I've seen uh, not just the PPR representatives, but the occupants and the locals themselves. The community was there. They even uh, took part in a real heartwarming uh, performance so that was something that should be more celebrated and uh, increase in frequency because a lot of the events in Malaysia is very elitist which is unfortunate because when we want to talk about policies and uh, an inclusive development but our own events are not inclusive it's kind of ironic and I really loved the third session. I loved it a lot. And I appreciated that they uh, used Malay language. Although I researched in the sense that it's, we have to speak in English. But when I did my research back in uh, Indonesia, Japan, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, I have to use the local language. There's no, there's not much English. And when I, whenever I take any data, let's say, oh, where's your living room? I have to use the language that they use. 
uh, oh, that's how that's what you call a cupboard. That's what you call that. So when we respect that, on it's just about language, and when we use that language, it creates a sense of comfort and a community, and it invites the community to take part into the discussion. And I really appreciated that, even though it's in Malay, I loved it. I love that it was in Malay, so it invited people to have a discourse. Yeah, the thing about um, events such as this, I mean, imagine inv inviting orang asli or some communities, yeah? And um, yeah, I, I, I myself uh, feel that there should be more of the mixture of, uh, for example, when I was in a session where everybody was the built environment professionals, so to speak, and I felt that, you know, having uh, PPR residents there would have made us have a different way to engage with the topic, you know, rather than mm -hmm. how we would think we want to engage with the topic. Um, uh, all in all, is a really great event. Uh, what I I I, um, I uh, participated in in the, in the morning, and uh, I, I did miss the the last one, which we had a PPR uh, resident talking. So it was in Malay, is it uh, Afa? Yep, it was in. Malay and it became a lot more casual at the end. What did, what did she, what and was the main takeaway that you get from this person that spoke? Uh, there were two representatives uh, and they both had their own very specific difficulties. But one that I could get was that the policies and the design do not meet their needs or does not even reach them. It, it, it did not reach them. So one key takeaway is that it happens here, even in uh, disaster management, which was what my research was about. We have the, the best intentions, but when it comes down to on-site and at field, it does not reach the desired uh, outcome, it does not reach the occupants. So learning and hearing from them and how they had to sometimes ask for help when it's already there, it shouldn't be that difficult. One of the, uh, one of the ladies there, I think her name was Puan Norima. Yeah, one is Puan Hayati. So Puan Norima said that they had to ask and they had to send in paperwork and um, a lot of the elders couldn't do certain things that the government had created to ease these people. But it the, the, the way it was implemented just made things very difficult. And it's about understanding, it's about having empathy, them being included in the discussion was something that I think is important because when the event and policy making is so, I, I have to say, use the word elitist again, then it's very top-down approach. We, we, people fail to see the simple things, like they, they make the simple mistakes and it does not reach the target did, did audience at all, actually. Sorry, Afab, did they mention about architecture or space or public space, you think? They did. Uh, but very little. It's more about their livelihood. So one of the examples that I remembered was Puan Hayati mentioned about uh, diapers. So they needed diapers. So one thing was that people, they, they said like when we needed diapers, like disposable diapers, people would bash and say that, oh, why can't you use uh, napkins? Just wash them, wash them and dry them. It's cheaper. It's even better. It's more environmental conscious. And then she says, but you don't live in the house. There is not enough ventilation to dry those napkins. And you have never smelt drying it in the Malaysian heat. And it's about the design. 
it comes back to the fact that PPR housing, um, most of them do not have balconies and um, there's not enough ventilation to reduce costs, of course. But then the quality of living is reduced and then that actually increases the amount of um, costs that they have to fork out just to live. Because there's not enough ventilation and they have to use more money for simple things like, like diapers. So it, it's like we, we try to save money on one aspect, but it, in the long term, it forces these communities to make really bad money decisions out of circumstance. That's interesting because um, we, we will go into another take on this, on housing and public space per se, but um, um, thinking about the event itself and what that pers- the PPR representative um, uh, mentioned yeah, in, during that session is, is something that, you know, is to do with the um, problem statement of, and to... Mm. And, Architecture, we can use these problem statements um, to to uh, to do a thesis, maybe a design thesis, or or to do part of the the hypothesis for our um, design, isn't it? So, um, so you did mention about uh, space in terms of ventilation, and I've always thought that if um, certain spaces in housing could be that uh, could could uh, be looked again, to make certain, if it's in policy that these spaces become bigger or, you know, it can actually achieve uh, some of these like diaper hanging, yeah, um, what do you call it, cloth diaper hanging area. Okay, so I think you guys, you guys didn't, you guys probably didn't use cloth diapers. I think I used cloth diapers when I was a kid. Maybe you guys... Yeah, I don't think I used... I didn't. (laughs) I don't think I did. (laughs) But my sisters did. So I... Oh, really? Yeah, I had a nephew. Uh Well, so when when we were taking care of the nephew, we used used the napkins, the cloth. Wow. So nice. So environmental friendly. (laughs) And after a while, we stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Yvonne, there is like a, a, a line of in the clothesline, you will see the di- diapers. Yeah. 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 I've seen that before. So we're going to go before we talk about all these things. Yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about all these things. We're going to go into our own experiences. Yeah. Uh, having uh, Think City as the, um, uh, the Panchatosla, yeah? the catalyst for our discussion today, uh, which is the take on the topic that. Uh, what would you what would you like to talk regarding your own work uh, with you, Yvonne? Uh, your own work or your own interest in housing and public spaces? Where where taking in into what we have learned? Maybe where do you think that could be the gaps that we should should look into as architecture educated, you know, architecture trained people? That's a great question and a difficult one. I'm also thinking how should I start. Okay, uh, I think I got interested in housing because uh, I was studying at the AA uh, for my fourth year. So I applied to a unit that was uh, focusing on public spaces and housing, uh, social housing specifically. So my tutor was from Austria. And uh, if uh, you didn't know, um, Austria is famous for their social housing. They are one of the best social housing providers in the world. Uh, Next would be Singapore. And uh, for them, social housing is like a very common thing. 
and everyone basically live in social housing no matter rich or poor because for them social housing is the highest quality housing that they can get in Austria so no one lives in private housing in Austria which is very very surprising to me so coming from Malaysia I was like oh okay but we are like for us private housing is like the better choice right compared to social housing so when I went there uh, to see it with my own eyes, so I went to Vienna to visit all of this uh, social housing. So our tutor brought us around to several uh, real examples. I was super, super impressed by the quality of their housing. I was very, very shocked. It really looked like a very high-end luxury housing. So too bad I cannot show you pictures here. Uh, it's a podcast, but yeah, it's really high end kind of uh, housing. So uh, the materials that they use, even the spaces that they provide, is very very luxurious. It's very spacious, and then it considers uh, a lot. It considers disabled people. It, it considers children playing spaces. So unlike typical housing design in Malaysia, we don't really care about children and don't care about disabled people. So for them, these two aspects are very, very important for them. So they think about aging people, think about children. And uh, and then also uh, we went to see private housing as well in Austria and I was like shocked. I was really shocked. It was terrible, really, really bad. Yeah, private housing is so bad. I wouldn't want to live in a private housing in Austria. So that's how different the way they treat housing in Austria compared to Malaysia. So it's the social housing that's having a higher quality compared to the private housing. So that kind of like give me like a confidence for a, another way of looking at housing. I was like, oh, wow, social housing can be great. You know, it gave me hope in a sense. Although that uh, I know that coming back to Malaysia, it might be really hard to like straight away get a huge jump in terms of quality of social housing in Malaysia. But at least I know that somewhere in the world, this kind of thing exists and this kind of thing can work. So that gave me a lot of hope. And uh, of course, uh, Austria has a very unique um, history in social housing. So maybe I'll briefly touch about how they set up their social housing in Austria. So uh, in World War, at the end of World War One, or is it World War II? I think it's World War One. So at the collapse of the monarchy in Austria, so housing in Austria was really, really bad. So they lived in really, really bad conditions. So that's how the people realize that, you know, to secure a better life, you need good housing, you need secure housing. So that's where they started after the collapse of the monarchy. They, the people decided to set up a government fund specifically for social housing. So this social housing fund has been running for at least 100 years already. So ever since from the inception of that fund, They've been accumulating a lot of money for 100 years to you know, uh, continue building quality social housing up until today. So they made sure that uh, an allocated fund was specifically secured just for housing. And they made sure that those money gets put back into building more housing and more high quality housing. So basically that's the structure of how uh, the social housing in Austria is set up. And other than that, yeah. One last point. Maybe you can add later regarding architecture, yeah. education, and housing later. Yeah. Um, okay. It just reminded me when I went to see my friends in the Netherlands, in Rotterdam, you know, when you invest on some spaces like the balcony and the yard, we have balcony yeah. and we have yard. Both are not doing very much in Malaysia. 
you know if you make the balcony as part of the elevation the long you know along the whole of the unit and maybe you make it increase in size it can be better util utilized because that's what i saw in in the netherlands in rotterdam because they were he was he was having a pond there for the birds to feed he was having a little garden the urban farm which he could really do an urban farm you know my, my friend's husband you know and then you can you can also uh you know with screens you can also put in your 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 laundry if you want you know it's like you have to treat that as part of the architecture possibly because this this venture into exploring certain elements could when you think about how people use the space you know it could be even um and orientation of the sun when you do the orientation of the sun in our tropical country quickly the clothes will be dried in a few hours you know so how do you actually orientate the spaces you know so when we talk about high-rise housing right um that intuition that sort of design uh sensibilities could some uh we could actually uh uh you uh think about it properly in terms of the the function of of, of the different houses because i did regret you know th uh, when i i mentioned this in during the housing uh event that um um the the bathroom the only bathroom for three or two rooms was at the entrance next to the corridor you must you you enter there's a kitchen and there's a toilet and people have to you know where is the public private domain in you know spaces inside you know the sense of dignity that is not there in some of these layouts so it's really really disappointment and i better stop there and it should give uh, Afaf a chance to talk on this topic Afaf, you i'm sure you have some interesting gems to 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 relate to us so in terms of privacy and dignity let me just confirm that okay, okay. <laughs> dignity and privacy is a good topic yeah so um I'm more comfortable with uh, disaster management and shelters pertaining to that field. But what I saw on field was dignity and privacy. It's a very, um, it's a topic that everybody respects, but rarely implemented directly. One example was that, but then it's due to funds or it's due to lack of materials or it's due to lack of time. So there's always a lot of, uh, bureaucracy in between something that it should have been a human right. So one example would be uh, we had shelter for a community in uh, Lombok. It, that was subsidized and assisted by an NGO. So the thing was the design is already set. It's a standard design and the toilets are actually uh, communal. So it's in the middle of the village. So can you imagine, right? If there is uh, a young girl, 12, she needs to go. Um, as Muslims, they need to pray early in the morning, like 6.30. You have to go to a toilet, 6.30, dark, uh, to uh, get your wudu. It's it's something that is, you know you have to do it, and it's just something like, oh, well, it can't be helped. But what I saw, other families within the community that had a bit more money and a bit more uh, resources, they built their own toilets next to the shelters that were given. So they found a way to make um, to make do with what they had, but improved it in a way that they would be comfortable. The toilet themselves in their own houses, they don't have a door. 
but it's still within their compound. So it's just family members. So it's fine. So even if there's no door, at least they prefer a toilet within their own house rather than in the middle of a village. And it's just simple things like that where you understand that in terms of humanitarian ethics, that's another topic that I'm really curious about right now, that the good of many, does it supersede the good of one? Right, that's a really interesting question because by providing a toilet that is communal, you can improve the quality of the toilet. You get better piping, better plumbing, better um, fittings, doors at least, and a good water pressure. <laughs> so it's good for everybody. But what about the individual needs of certain um, members of the community? So, so it's like, in terms of ethics, we are... Uh, us to prioritize the needs of many but what about the needs of individuals like certain individuals and that's the thing about design uh, we tend to lump sum everybody as one person as one need but oftentimes everybody has different needs and not everybody is so susceptible to certain uh, downgrades of dignity <laughs> I mean nobody should be to be honest but like when 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 a disaster happens you're like okay um, I will have to I have to deal with this but it shouldn't be that way I think design should find a way to at least keep a certain bare minimum so that's one thing that I could find echoing the certain public housing crisis that we have here in Malaysia that's good. Uh, Alpha, maybe you can continue with the next round um, uh, since you're um, uh, talking about human rights, standardization. And, and you know, the, 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 when we have standardization um, uh, for everyone, um, the, the challenge is that when uh, people refer to the codes of practice mm. or the policies and then uh, they want to implement uh, on the ground, on site, um, they could actually innovate and actually look at standardization as minimum, but they could uh, give flexibility and adaptability ideas into the okay. design. So with this in mind, Afaf, uh, when we talk about architecture education, architecture education and all these concepts that we learn, yeah, and the teaching of housing, for example, Maybe you can you just you, you can say anything you like. Uh, I'm just like I want to conclude what we said. <laughs> architecture education as our last um, part to this particular first session of our discussion. Uh, then later we can go into architecture edu education per se, uh, and also for the next um, the next episode. So yes, uh, let's let's look into housing and how housing is being taught. Uh, taught um, in schools of architecture that you know or in your own uh, experience at the University of Malaya? All right. So um, I have just graduated. The last time we did housing was in first year. And after that, we never touched housing ever again. And from what I understand, we're supposed to go back to public housing in fourth year. But that jump from uh, micro home to a public housing is huge. I think it is way too fast. And it is not even 
adaptable or even applicable to real life situations honestly because my own experience i can't speak for other universities but my own experience was that as a first year student i understand the lecturer's perspective on wanting to expand the student's mind they want to make sure that uh the students are aware that you don't have to limit yourself be creative have crazy concepts and i appreciated that and some of the lecturers that taught me in first year were the best lecturers i've had in my three years of of degree of part one because they taught me how to think outside of the box i appreciated that i loved it there's nothing wrong with that but the problem here is that the years after that it it immediately glossed over the needs of a community and went to let's say um a police station as my project or i've had other people did um mrt stations a sports center um whatever things yada yada, yada. so it i understand that the education needs to meet certain standards to pass the 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 education standards set by the ministry of education or lam as well as pab and everything like that uh, but it becomes a point of contention every time we finish our year okay have we met so later you're going to need lam you're going to need pab so it completely overrides the need i would yeah, like the point help, of education i would like to help you with that so why is it important to actually have another housing type of project in the first degree i mean the ones that they, you mentioned mrt police station and what's the other one there are more of community facilities mm-hmm. so that three community facilities project so what why do you think that another housing project say maybe it has to do with elderly housing maybe to do with you know a budget hotel i'm not sure you know that things to do with housing yeah that you yeah. have bedrooms and so on why is it, you think that's important in the first stage of architecture i i'm actually thinking totally a different uh, way of how, handling it you think about uh, social housing no no i think in the final year the student should be allowed to choose the brief it should be allowed to choose their brief and in a sense that housing, if, social housing should be one of them is it not specifically social housing because of course that's such a big topic for a part one student okay. but something of like a smaller scale but focusing on housing if let's say they want to because not every um architectural graduate will become an architect so it's not unfair to for me to even like say we need a public housing uh course or brief i i think that's unfair as well but i think there should be some autonomy towards the students to have a project that can be their capstone okay because mm. because you came with this argument that first year you did some small uh, uh dwelling and micro house yep. is only when you would do uh, some high rise or, or complex building housing so what is it what do you think is the ideal sort of project and you mentioned that you 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 were a bit general there i wanted you to be more specific because We actually Kevin Matlo and I actually we propose to have 20 unit housing in the second year. We went to the uh, to the department saying 20 unit but we reduced it it became like an artist habitat with 8 yeah. units with 8 units. Good. That's good yeah okay yeah. all right. So meaning that there, there should be some kind of housing like artist habitat sort of thing maybe in the second year or the third year okay we, we did have that in first year but it's only for single artists yeah 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 that's, that's failed, just yeah. focus in first year all right okay Be- because we are sort of like i there is um i need to give <laughs> the floor 
So I kind of like get a little bit gist of how the Malaysian architecture education works now. So yeah, and uh, I totally agree with what Aha said. And although I don't want to seem like I'm promoting UCSI here, but like their final year students, they do get to choose their brain and they actually get to design at least 20 accommodations in their final year. So it's like kind of like our requirement for the final year students. Yeah, so <laughs> not trying to promote UCSI, but yeah. Please go ahead. Please, please go into the, what your feelings are regarding this housing project. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think housing is a very, very difficult topic, to be honest. Although people might think that housing is something very easy to design. It's just typical toilet, typical uh, living room, uh, standard size, 1,000 square feet, and things like that. No, that's, that's not housing. That's just mindless copying. So uh, housing is a very, very broad issue. It's an economic issue. It's about sociology. It's about, you know, everything. So uh, in order to teach that to undergraduates, I think it's also very, very tough on the lecturers as well. So I think right now, the way Malaysian architecture education is being structured is we're going by scales. So we start from the smaller scale and then up bigger and bigger and bigger to the final year. So that's why there's this kind of like, um, how do you say? It? So there are certain kind of typologies that the students have to learn because of all these scale increments. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree that uh, if they can swap housing in between, that's a great start. But how do we ensure uh, students are able to learn the broader picture about housing uh, that is not just, you know, the building itself is something very, very difficult. Mm. So I think uh, we have uh, passionate lecturers that are trying to, you know, incorporate that kind of thinking into the mm. students. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, we have about, about seven minutes so i'm going to interject on this you know in uh, in the design thesis year we have uh, we asked the student to look at the broader picture of housing in for the kampong Krinchi batch in 2018-19 the students did not want to do housing none of them wanted to do a housing you know kampong Krinchi is about housing right so none of them but uh saifo yusuf uh, eventually he he accepted that he has to do a prototype of a low-cost housing with uh, um, waste waste management as as the core of his special studies, you know, in that unit, but it became the big the bigger thing than the housing. So he was using social housing parameters to come up with um, all sorts of uh, ideas. So it was great, and um, and of course, what you said is very important, Yvonne, where uh housing is when you come when you you're from the bedroom you go to the bathroom and then you it's called activity daily living if you think about um elderly person what can you do you know uh, and that's some sort of a rehabilitation medicine uh, overall idea of how uh independent living can be achieved in housing and this is not talking about uh elderly housing we're talking about any housing you know social housing so 
from the bedroom to the bathroom to the kitchen you do have certain activities that you can do to the front door uh, to the corridors to the parking lots to the bus you know or the local community uh, grocery shop or you know this will really improve their so psychosocial world you know you don't have to, you have to have more mental illness in places such as in social housing architecture could play a part so so of course when i'm thinking about the curriculum and architecture education that is uh that the fourth year when there is a housing project could it be more of a master planning could it be two semesters of master planning and then housing or could it be like somebody can take up on housing unit for the design thesis if they want you know it's like it is interesting when you can specialize in housing in the foundation of architecture and pursue it later, you know, um, something like that. So, um, and another thing that I like to add is housing is also about um, detailed design a lot. Uh, it's about the, the anthropometric and ergonomics of performances that you need to have and how to make uh, interior design. I mean, it can, it can border on interior design. And in Malaysia, in, in University of Malaya, uh, Malaya, before they had... Um, a unit that coupled with a Korean university and that that, that the Koreans um, were the interior designers and the Malaysians were the architect and they did a lot of interesting collaborations. So on that note, there is um, a couple of minutes uh, for this particular session before we go for our break into the next episode. So a couple of minutes could uh, uh, could we round up this session, Yvonne, and then after that, Afaf, Yvonne, start first. Okay, I think one last point maybe I should say from the Think City event is that uh, building trust within the community is very hard. So this is another important, like intangible aspect of all these kind of community projects. Uh, building trust within the community, that's the first thing that we should do in order to uh, continue the project. So if there is no trust within the community, there's no way you can do a community project. And if you do it without the community trust, that is a top-down approach that we are right now doing right now, which is not entirely effective. So I think that's what I want to say to conclude this session. Thank you, Yvonne. Afaf, anything you'd like to say? Um, thank you, Yvonne. That is a huge point. I have to echo on that. <laughs> but uh, based on my own research experience and towards disaster management and shelter, community is really important and to be part of the community. It's not really just for the community, but we have to put ourselves uh, with the community. And that's the only reason my research was able to proceed. I had to work with them. Uh, they were equal parts uh, responsible for my research uh, direction. They're the ones that decided, like, I think this area is better for me to look at. So it's about, had to build a trust first, right? By listening to them, only then can we have better design and better policies. Yes, uh, listen to the user. That's very important. Um, in our podcast, the previous sessions, I focus on the user's perspective. And also for this session, we conclude um, the three three main parts of a reflection on the event that Think City uh, played um, on public housing and and uh, public spaces, and we went into much more 
detail on what we think about this event and also what we think about it in general, those topics. And then we went into architecture education as a teaser for the coming podca uh, podcast episode, part two of this session of interview with Chia Yvonne and Afaf Ismail. Thank you very much. Bye, guys. Thank you. See ya.